here in the heart of the jungle, we find one of the most interesting creatures of its kind. Amazon PPC Advertising. Buried deep amongst the undergrowth with its campaigns and targeting, lay hazards like keywords without conversions, unprofitable ad spend, and a mountain of ever-evolving complexity. But if you look beyond the obstacles of life here, there is hope and opportunity. We will journey to every corner of Amazon ads to explore and share the greatest treasures the jungle has to offer. This is the Amazon PPC Den podcast. All right, three, two, one. What's going What's on, going on Badger, Badger Nation? Nation. <laughs> yes, perfect. We'll sync it up. It'll be great. Um, cool. <laughs> welcome, everyone, to the PBC Den podcast, your home for all things Amazon advertising tips, tricks, strategies, and um, the occasional uh, Badger meme. Uh, today, I am incredibly happy, uh, privileged, excited. Uh, we're all in for a treat because Emma... Shermer Tamir is on the show today from Marketing by Emma. Emma, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking, uh, sharing your experience with optimizing Amazon product listings. We need this. We need this in our lives. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I was already excited to record and then we had an awesome pre-recording session and geeked out on all these things and now I'm just rearing and ready to uh, sink my teeth into or claws i don't know what yes. do badgers do how do they how do they attack their prey 10 out of 10 a plus <laughs> this is great yeah this is great thank you so much 10 out of 10 um emma you are on the road right now you're in las vegas um and what's it like working while on the road uh while traveling around you know we mentioned a little bit that you i think you're originally from missouri but you're in Las Vegas now. What's that like? Yeah. So I guess just continuing on with this theme, I am a creature of habit. Okay. <laughs> so I really value having a solid morning routine in, in particular. And so I think for me, one of the things that I always kind of hit a little bit of a road bump with whenever I'm working on the road is just making sure that I really preserve that routine so that I can set myself up for a a productive and positive day. Uh, so once I kind of got settled and figured out where, where I'm going to be working and what life is going to look like in Las Vegas, which is a little more, uh, active than Missouri, (laughs) (laughs) it's been really positive. But for me, a great routine is making my coffee, uh, and sitting down and reading for at least 20 to 30 minutes a day and taking that time for myself, uh, to think and, and start to generate ideas and to also start the day on my own terms instead of opening up emails and starting to feel like I'm being pulled by in a bunch of different directions by a bunch of different people allows me to go in uh, with a clearer head and more focus into how I want to be spending my day. <sighs> Amazing. You know what always goes viral? Those uh, videos of like how a CEO starts their day. And it's like, 
I like to start my day by praying to a picture of Elon Musk <laughs> so I can summon my <laughs> entrepreneur spirit. Uh, and then I read like the entire Wall Street Journal. Um, and then <laughs> and, and then it's 4 a.m. And then I start my my yeah. my 10 mile run. Um, uh, I love that kind of content. Thank you so much for sharing. Out of curiosity, what's a book that you read recently in your 20 minute reading sprint that you thought was really helpful? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like that's one of those things where whenever you ask, what book have you read recently? And then suddenly you're Just like, blank. I don't read books. I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need to. So I've actually been keeping a list for almost 10 years of all of the books that I've read, which is I'm so glad Ooh. that I started doing that. And so I'm just going to pull that up. Do it. It's a heavy question. A lot of times. A lot of times you're thinking like, oh, I better say a book that like people think this or that are can't share this yeah. book. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Sorry to put so you on the spot. the last few books I've read have actually been kind of like, you know, sometimes you hit a book rut. So I mm. feel like I've been in that for probably a month and a half now. But I started off the year really strong with two excellent books that I would highly recommend for d very different reasons. One is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who if you don't know who Annie Duke is, she is a... A very accomplished poker player uh, and poker is obviously a world that's totally dominated by men and so it's really interesting to hear about her experience there but essentially this book takes all of these principles of poker playing and teaches you how to use those decision-making processes in order to make better decisions in your life or your business or whatever it else that you're wanting to apply. And in general, those are, I think, my favorite types of both business books or or self-help books or any type of category where it's getting down to how can you think better and how can you make better choices because any other sort of thing that you try to add on top of that is likely something that's like you're starting too far forward and you need to make sure that you're actually working on the right thing or that you're, you know, putting your, um, putting everything on the right odds and, and all of those types of things. So I found that book a really easy and fun read, but also with some fantastic ideas. Uh, and then the other book that I read that, uh, that really just kind of like struck a chord with me is The Choice by Edith Ed Edgar. Oh, I can't, I can't remember her full name. She's a Holocaust survivor and she's also a, um, a therapist. She's in her 90s and still does a high kick whenever she's on stage speaking. Hey now. And she's just incredibly inspirational. Her book is very moving, but it also sort of talks about how you know, the, the name says the choice. Uh, so the choice to be happy and to really take your life into um, your own hands and in a, in how, how you want it to be regardless of the circumstances. And, and it's just a very inspiring book. I love it. Well, hopefully you've taken our listeners out of a potential book rut that they've been in. And uh, if anyone's listening, go to, we publish this on YouTube as well. Most people uh, listen to it on their podcasting platform of choice, but we also pu publish it on YouTube. Head over, give Emma a recommendation to help you break your current book rut. <laughs> That's great. Please, yes. please, if you have any book recommendations, I would be very <laughs> grateful for them. Um, so let's actually get into it because we've got so many great things to cover when it comes to Amazon product 
page listing uh, work. So just a little bit about yourself, um, just straight out of your LinkedIn, you spent six years as CEO co-founder, as you currently are, uh, at Marketing by Emma, um, where you get to work with clients in a really cool way, like helping them with their brand identity, helping them improve their copywriting, establish authority, um, all of those things, like extracting the best things about them, making sure that they're visible, present on product pages so that when somebody lands on their page, like they're seeing that they're, you're, it's fantastic, magnetic product market fit. So that's so cool. So, so what is the most exciting thing, you know, that energizes you to continue to do this? Cause six years in digital online world is basically 60 years in traditional terms. So you've been at this for quite some time. So tell us about what keeps you excited about this area of e-commerce marketing, marketing. Yeah. With, the, with all the grays that being a business owner has uh, created on my head, I definitely feel like the grandma of the space that I <laughs> am because it's a long time to be in the world of Amazon, especially mm-hmm. since it is so young. And I think what really excites me about what we're doing is we've been talking for since we started about the importance of things like branding and story and really being thoughtful about how you utilize your words. And six years ago, that was kind of falling on deaf ears. It, it, it's not that it wouldn't be helpful to do, but it was so much more rudimentary in as far as what you needed to do to be successful. And it was really still the heyday of being able to just use one of those um, tools to find a product that still didn't really have any competitors and you could launch mm-hmm. something very cheaply and easily. And then people were creating these catalogs of totally unrelated products that all did well in their own right, but there wasn't necessarily a brand uniting all of those things. And as the space has matured, it's become more and more necessary to be thinking about those bigger picture things. And so now finally people are starting to understand like, oh yeah, this is important for my long-term strategy as a business. If I want to be expanding into other channels or I want to be thinking about exiting or, or I just want to stay competitive because there are way more people vying for those same customers. And so, you know, you could get away with a mediocre product page and do really well. And now, even though you've amassed a lot of reviews, you have other people that are scrappy and hungry and coming in and and doing all these things right. And they're taking away some of your market share. And so this is one of those tools that you have at your disposal to be able to uh, begin to reclaim uh, what what had been yours in the past. So I'm just excited that these conversations are getting are, are things that people are are eager to receive and then being able to have these kinds of conversations in a way that helps demystify some of it because I think it can be a little bit scary and intimidating and overwhelming if you find yourself as more of an analytical numbers person. All this creative stuff can be a little can be a little overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, I've heard the same thing that happened in the PPC space, uh, where, you know, five, six years ago, when you launched a campaign on Amazon, it, nothing really mattered. Like there was so little competition. You were getting clicks for so cheap that it didn't matter if your campaign setup was perfect. Uh, you sort of were forgiven because it was much softer competition. And I've seen, uh, I had a business coach who had this great quote, uh, I don't know if it was his, but he shared it with me where it's like, 
success and the easy times that come with it. It's a fantastic perfume for covering up real issues. Um, so like perfect, perfect example of that is like people that hadn't prioritized this, uh, that maybe were successful, even though they didn't have these fundamentals down eventually you know, the perfume wore off and they sort of realized like, oh, I've been putting this off. I haven't been prioritizing these kinds of things and, you know, can get into trouble. So I'm always trying to think, uh, you know, what are, what are the blind spots that we're missing out on? How can we improve things that, um, potentially we're overpowering with other areas? So it's, it's so important to like, look at a company and like really try to optimize it. Um, and I think, you know, Amazon marketers should be drawn to this kind of thinking where it's like, Hey, like, I don't want to sit on my laurels. I want to be constantly pushing forward. So like really being thoughtful about product page optimization, I think is so important. And I think, you know, spending time on your website and talking with you, uh, it's so apparent that we're not necessarily talking about like a paint by numbers type of product listing optimization that was maybe popular many years ago where it was just like, okay, put this word on your page this many times and like sit back and collect money. Uh, I think it's been, and I think like that was very popular at one point in time where it was just sort of like paint by numbers, you know, you don't need to hire someone that talented to like optimize your, your product pages. Uh, what, what I mean by that is like people were really trying to pay like the least amount that they could to get some product page optimization where they were kind of just like, eh, you know, how important is this really? Like, I just need to get it done. I just need to cross it off the list. You know, I already have worked so hard to find a product, source a product, get it made, do all these things, wrestle with all of Amazon. And now I have to like do this creative work and actually like really dig in and think about product market fit and my copywriting and all this stuff for my product page. That's so exhausting. I can just go on, you know, Fiverr or anything like that and pay such a tiny amount to get it done and setting the person who they're paying up, you know, the, you know, painting them themselves into a corner because, you know, they're not charging enough to probably get all the things that they wish they could get done for a client. So I feel like we are breaking away from that kind of thinking where it's like, eh, an afterthought. And we can really actually start looking at product pages as a fantastic opportunity to like pull and engage Uh, and captivate customers. How have you found that process to be as this grows in importance, customers, you know, people who your customers are waking up to the idea that like, oh, there's like a completely another echelon to optimizing a product page. You know, what is that like? And how has that evolved um, that people have come to you with? Like, what has that process been like for you? Yeah, you made so many great points. And what's interesting to me, and I, by the way, it's still, even though things are changing, there are still a lot of people that the listing is sort of this afterthought as, you know, in their whole launch plan, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, we need that and we need it like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it, if you think about it, I think Amazon sort of allows people to get away with that a little bit because they take a lot, you know, you don't have to actually build out a website. But can you imagine if you were launching this exact same product and you were going to do it on your own website and you put all this money into product development and you do, you know, do you do all the sourcing and you figure everything out? Would you really just slap up a website the day before launch without really giving much consideration to what it looks like or how it says and expect to do well? Your product page is 
really one of the only ways that you have to communicate with your customer, to make a good impression, to convince them why they should choose your product instead of all of the other options out there. And the options aren't just on Amazon. A customer might originate their search on Amazon and do some of their initial, you know, homework. But if they get too frustrated or overwhelmed or confused, they could choose to go to go to Target and look at things in person or to go to walmart.com or to go to, you know, another website. All of those options are available. And so you want to make sure that you're doing everything possible to take that little bit of attention that you get and make the most of it in order to be able to have the best chance at converting them into a customer. And not just converting them into the customer, but also understanding who should my customer be because you don't just want to be converting everybody. You want to make sure that you're converting the right people that are going to be excited by your product, are going to have a positive experience, and that you're not just selling something that's then going to uh, get a... Uh, you know, a negative experience and a return and, and all of that hassle. And so sort of alongside of the old way of listing optimization, if you will, that that we've been talking about is also this sort of like old way of marketing of this is the best and the most innovative. And, and first of all, customers see through that and it doesn't really work as well anymore. But also you need to make sure that whatever you're saying, you can actually back up with what you're delivering on. And so you really want to be thinking of that whole experience from start to finish and making sure that by the time somebody gets your product, that it is what they were looking for, if not exceeding what they were looking for. Uh, and that's how, that's how you do that successfully. And if you don't think about that whole journey, then you're really going to be uh, finding yourself in a pickle. If we were to zoom in from that sort of uh, theoretical basis and the sort of uh, to something more specific. So like, let's say someone were to come to you and their product pages were an afterthought to them and they're turning the corner. They're like, okay, I really need to improve this um, for all of those benefits that you just mentioned. Like what kinds of mistakes, like what kinds of issues would you see in specific parts of their listing? Like let's get into like, what are those biggest mistakes? Like, you know, you don't have to name names of course, but like the worst product listing that came to you that was like ready to get, uh, improved by you and your team. What did that look like? Like, what did their title look like? What do their bullets look like? Like tell, tell us about like some mistakes that people are making. So keyword stuffing, I think is one of the most common mistakes across the board uh, that we see, if I had to say like the thing that almost everybody is doing wrong, that would be it. I think that there's um, more, there's different varieties of that. So some is simply, they're just doing too many keywords. But then sometimes if you want to talk about extreme cases, then they're not even being selective about their keywords. And they're, you know, there's, there's different types of keywords, right? So there are some keywords that are more for um, product research and kind of browsing. And then there are other keywords that have that higher buyer intent. And the higher buyer intent keywords are going to typically be the keywords that are um, 
very relevant and highly specific to what you're selling. So something like if you're selling um, muslin swaddle cloth for infants, that would be high buyer intent versus um, baby shower gift ideas is going to be more of that kind of like researching and whatnot. And so if you're not doing the homework in analyzing the keyword research that you're doing and making sure that you are going after the right kind of keywords, then you can be very starry eyed. And fortunately, this is something that I see less and less, but it is a a mistake that I see with newer sellers in particular of getting googly eyed over those really high search volume keywords without understanding how competitive those are. And, and the fact that even if you, you know, the likelihood of being able to rank well on those is just so, so slim and would be very, very costly. Uh, and so then if you have like a title, for example, and if it's like baby shower gift ideas, newborn um, essentials, and it's like all of those keywords, then like before you know it, you have a full title and nobody even knows what what the product is. Mm -hmm. And so on a most basic level, uh, you need to make sure that people understand your product. And the keyword stuffing is one sort of trap that you might fall into that that would lead you down that path. But that's not the only case that that happens. Sometimes people just either make assumptions because they are too close to their product and so they sort of forget that not everybody knows their product in as much detail as they do or they just haven't taken the time to prioritize it and so they leave out just basic details that somebody needs to know about the product. Like it's not necessarily sexy to talk about the dimensions, but like for a lot of products, the dimensions of a product of, of it have relevance to whether it's something that somebody's going to want or not. And so you need to know all of those things and be able to describe your product in the most basic way before getting into any of the other techniques and tactics that, that we can talk about. Let me unpack some of these things. Uh, You know, you mentioned keyword stuffing. Um, How do you define keyword stuffing and how do you identify it? So one of the most uh, common types of keyword stuffing is, let's say you want want to go after those gift keywords. And so you'll be like gift, uh, Christmas gift, Halloween gift, um, New Year's gift, The same could be said for maybe you will have like one of those catch-all bullets. This can be used as a baby swaddle blanket, a um, baby stroller cover blanket, a, Mm -hmm. and it's like a lot of times you'll even have that same root keyword in the longer tail keywords repeated over and over and over again. And so then it just becomes this bullet that is like a string of unending keywords. So that's kind of the most extreme example of that. But you can also have keyword stuffing where it's just um, like it's not it's not a, a list form, but you're trying to include so many keywords that it's making the sentence awkward or read weird or you're you're trying to fit something in in a way that it just doesn't function. And so you're kind of giving priority to that keyword over making sure that you're still creating um, a sentence that's going to be effective. And why do you think people are so pulled to keyword stuffing? 
I think it's a few reasons. So of course, the first reason being you do your keyword research, you see the search volume there and you say, well, if this is how Amazon is associating my product with these keywords that have all of these searches, I just want as many people as possible to be able to uh, see my listing. And so there's that, which it's important to remember that Amazon indexes and and um, associates relevancy and, de- and determines rank and all of these things based on more than just whether a keyword is in the listing. Because if that were the case, then you'd have a really terrible customer experience because you could put any keyword in your listing and then uh, you know populate on pages that are totally not at all what a, what a customer is going to be searching for. So there are a lot of different factors that are influencing uh, whether you're actually going to be able to gain traction on a particular keyword beyond just if it's in your listing. And you'll also see that any of the really successful listings are indexing for far more words than what are actually in the listing itself. So it's, I think some of it is maybe not fully kind of understanding how that whole process works and, and oversimplifying what that looks like on the back end of Amazon and, and how that the algorithm functions. And then on top of that, you have a lot of different tools that are saying, you know, your listing score, truly like almost any keyword tool out there does that. And one of the ways that because it has to be in a in a more simplified tool, one of the main ways that they're judging that is simply by how many total you know, how much of the total search volume that you have available to you with the keyword list that you have, are you covering? And so it's overweighting the uh, importance of keywords versus some of these other elements. And then the last thing I think is that to be successful on Amazon, you really do need to be um, somebody that really understands analytics and numbers. And so that's probably where your comfort zone Mm-hmm. is. And so if that's where your comfort zone is, then you're going to naturally kind of lean on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So cleaning up keyword stuffing, you know, how do you generally think about if someone were to come to you and they've stuffed left and right, almost they've created this incomprehensible jumble of words. What do you do with that that client? How do you coach them through that process? What does that process look like? So some of it is definitely even having those conversations before we onboard them as a client to ensure that they're on board with what we've seen to be an effective strategy for 2022. And so making sure that they accept this idea that we won't just be injecting the same volume of keywords into slightly prettier language that we are going to be using fewer keywords than what they have been using previously. And if not, you know, then we're probably not a great fit for them because at the end of the day, they're going to come back and say, oh, but we need to add 20 more keywords here. And we're like, that. then we're just going to be kind of, you know, it'll look a little bit better, but we'll be very close to where we started if, if we do that. Uh, so that I think establishing expectations is very important. And then from there, we do a few different things. It's, 
we are, I'm certainly, I don't want this conversation to suggest that I'm undervaluing the importance of keywords. They are a hugely important aspect of what goes into a successful Amazon listing or really any, any piece of written content that you're putting on the internet. So that is 100% necessary. However, you still do have a customer that needs to, that you need to communicate with. And so one of the things that we do to make sure that we are not overshadowing the intention of the copy to be a a piece of persuasive writing is to look for those longer tail keywords that are like they eat up a few words at once. And those can be so great because you might have a five word phrase that actually covers like, you know, six different phrases because of the combination of, of how those function. And so we'll actually search through the list and, and identify those um, so that the writers know to prioritize those keywords because they are going to be able to uh, check off more boxes without having to just put more and more um, of the same phrases. And then alongside of that, really being thoughtful of, is this a keyword that you can fit into the copy in a way that's going to make it readable? And if the answer is no, you have your your backend search terms field that you can put keywords into. So if there are words that you just can't make work, then it's okay. You can put them somewhere that isn't visible to the customer. And so also kind of understanding that, that not everything is going to be a fit. And when it's not, then, then there are other, other places to, that, that you can uh, fit them in just fine without impacting the readability of the copy. For sure. You know, I've always thought that um, Amazon takes a lot of inspiration from Google. Um, Google's just had more time to work on listing things after somebody makes a search. They've had such a jump on it. Uh, And we see this in Google ads, uh, Amazon ads, adopting things from Google ads. Google, in their organic search algorithm, uh, a couple years ago, like deprioritized keywords. Uh, meaning they didn't, they were struggling with a lot of pages appearing in organic search results that were just perfectly SEO written and people would click on it and they would bounce. And like Google knew that people were bouncing off these pages that like were low engagement. And, you know, Google knows this um, because people would click on it and then they'd see them back on the search results, clicking on something else. And that kind of like hyper low engagement of high ranking pages caused Google to like change the way that their pages, they started putting um, preference on engagement and like actual writing quality. They developed tools to like figure out, is this this like human readable or is this just like bot readable for like ranking purposes? And in so many industries, they changed up how they rank things. And, you know, people at the time were like, this is just a couple years ago at the time, like, will we ever live in like a post key world world? Uh, wait, post, did I say key world, post keyword world where it's like, Hey, SEO person who's just been, who's figured out the perfect formula to like put words in to rank. It's like, well, actually it needs to be engaging and people need to understand it and it needs to be clear. And like on Amazon conversion rate matters too. So like all these things 
matter a ton. I think they'll continue to matter. So again, like we talk about like, you know, the perfume of success and like how it can uh, hide and, you know, forgive some systems that we don't have in place. But I think creating like a human readable, human engaging page, like is clearly the future of Amazon pages. Like they've always prioritized companies that are focused more on like brand building and those kinds of things. Uh, so I think this is just another extension of that. Uh, and I think it'll just continue to get that way. So absolutely on all of your points so far. Can I interject? Amazon makes it clear that the customer is always first for mm -hmm. them. And so I think that's also just a really important concept to have in mind that if that's what they've identified as their primary motivating value, that they want to continue to provide customers with the very best experience possible, then you're going to be able to make decisions that are going to help you be more successful on the platform if you are also in line with that. And so the same can be said with how you're writing your listings. And that's also why, you know, things like how your seller account health is going to impact your ability to rank. Because if they're seeing that tons of people are having poor experiences and, and returning your products, then they're taking that as a signal that, there's either not a correct product fit here or you're not delivering an exceptional experience and that is not in line with what it is that they have set as their number one objective in being in business. Absolutely. So if you think back to the product listing that gave you nightmares, aside from keyword stuffing, uh, what other issues did it that sort of nightmare listing have? So this is, I think, where I start to surprise people because you'd think that I would just go right into like, it's not written nicely and it's not pretty or all of those things. And I kind of always approach any piece of content or copy that I'm reviewing uh, in, a, in a kind of hierarchical way. And so it's really important that things are organized correctly and that it's not just a jumbled mess. And so like a really common error that I'll see is like the bullets, I think are the easiest place to sort of dialogue about this. So you have five bullets, oftentimes, sometimes you might have more, but let's just for discussion's sake, say that we have five bullets. Those five bullets should be five important points that you want to make about your product. And so often, if you look at a bullet, it starts off about one thing and then it transitions to something else and then it transitions back to something else. And so think about that from the customer's perspective for a moment. If you, if you have this piece of information that you need and you're looking for that and the information is about that second or third topic in that bullet point, how likely am I to be able to easily find that? And so you want to make sure as you're creating a listing or optimizing a listing and revamping it, that you're making the customer do as little work as possible. And so if they're needing to expend effort to understand what you've written, to find a piece of information, to just generally understand your product, then you have a, a, a big problem because most people that's where their attention is going to, to drift to something else. They're going to go back to the search results page. They're going to 
you know, say, oh, I'll get back to this later. I don't really have the time to, or energy to deal with this right now. And so you want to make sure that you are, that you're making that really clear. We also saw, I think just this week, um, we're starting to get more mobile data mm-hmm. from, from Amazon and how many people are shopping from a phone. And so if you don't have that organization in place and then combining that with making sure that you're really concise, it's going to be a nightmare for somebody that's on a small device trying to work their way through the listing and just figure out if this meets their needs. So that's a, a critical piece um, that is is really kind of laying the foundations for uh, a listing that then once we have that established, we can begin to add all of the other flourishes to it. How do you know that something is clear? Like th- that seems like a very hard to pin down. Like it's easy to understand. It's like, okay, we need clarity and it needs to be, you know, specific and we don't want to make our customers think too much. But you know, what are like the practical ways that you ensure that that happens? Like, how do you know? Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Like if, you, if someone wants to go sit down and make their listing more clear, what does that actually mean? Like what are we, what should they actually do? That's a fantastic question that nobody's ever, I don't think, asked me except for writers on our team. So those are mm-hmm. internal Emma, conversations yeah. uh-huh. that, that we have a lot. I, I only but, ask excellent, excellent questions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. So I love this question because there are actually a few different things that go into that. So one thing that you want to be really mindful of, and it is especially true if you don't have a lot of experience writing this in this type of way is that you can kind of fall in love with things that make you sound sophisticated or intelligent. And that is a really dangerous path to go down because a lot of times it's going to lead you to choose more complex words when a simple one will do or a lengthier phrase that is actually not that clear. And so if you're ever feeling that like, wow, that's so smart, that's oftentimes a sign that you might have overcomplicated things. Mm -hmm. So I would say pay attention to that. Another really great tool that you can use is reading your, what you've written out loud. It might feel a little embarrassing. So, you know, if you need to go find a private corner to do that, or, you know, nobody's listening, I don't really care. And I'll even do it if people are around and why that can be so helpful is when you're reading something in your mind, you will read it in a way that will kind of correct for any potential awkwardness or errors. And when you read it out loud, you're able to see where things are awkward, where, where things don't make total sense. And it, sl- it just slows you down a little bit. And so that is another great way to make sure, does this sentence actually make sense? Is it straightforward? And there are some tools that you can actually use, like um, one of one person on our team has recently found a lot of luck with a um, Hemingway editor. Hemingway. Yeah, it's great. And and that can also really help you help train you to understand how to simplify your language a little bit. And so I would say, you know, even just taking a sentence and saying, do all of these words belong or are there some filler words here that are detracting from the message that I'm trying to say? And, and you'll probably be 
shocked to see how much doesn't actually need to be there. Yeah. You know, I think Hemingway is a fantastic tool. Um, like in case anyone doesn't know, like you, you punch your content into Hemingway and then it like spits out and says like the reading level is too high, like make it easier. Um, and it'll highlight sentences that are too long or, or gives suggests easier, more simple words. Uh, when, you know, you have a complex, complicated multi-syllable one in there. It's so cool. And I think for a lot of people who like this doesn't come naturally to, there's actually like tools out there that help you write more simply, uh, which is so cool. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and there are just more and more that are coming to the market all the time. And so it's sort of almost like having an in-person editor that can help give you that perspective that you might not be able to achieve otherwise. And it's a great way to be able to train yourself. I think it's so easy to kind of assume, okay, well, I speak English. So that means that I must be able to just be a great writer and write really well in English. And you certainly can train yourself to be a better writer, but it is a craft just like anything else. And it takes time and effort to really cultivate. And, and so also understand that it is a journey and that it's not something that you will just be perfect at right out of the box. Yeah. Maybe some people are, but most people are not, including when we hire new writers onto the team, people, we, so when we're hiring, we screen more for good writers and, um, personality fit and, and the cultural alignment. And then we invest in teaching them the skills for how to write for Amazon. Mm -hmm. And even though these people have a very high baseline of writing acumen, it takes them a lot of time to learn how to figure out what goes into creating a really killer Amazon listing because you're juggling a lot. So we've spoken about the keywords. We've spoken about the organization. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. There's character limits. There are certain kind of, you know, parameters that you need to work in with character counts and Amazon controls how you present certain information. And then you have other areas where you have um, the, the benefit of being able to work with imagery. And so thinking about how imagery and text can really work together to create a, an impactful piece of marketing and um, you have a list of, of words you cannot say all the time and then a list of other words that you can say some of the times and you know it's just on and on and on yeah I really do feel like we've only scratched the surface of what makes up and how to think about and how to approach and build systems around optimizing product listings but um, I would love to have you back on the show, potentially, you know, a couple times this year, just to sort of hit some of these areas. What I think is so cool in how we have our shows and having people on uh, multiple times is that it allows us to sort of continue this conversation, to go deeper into some of these other areas where maybe you don't get a chance to talk about, um, like on a one-off episode. So would love to get you back on the show uh, in the future to like start digging into some of these areas, like, you know, anatomy of like great bullet points. Like, what does that look like? Or, you know, what does that process look like to teach, uh, you know, someone who is a writer, like all about the specific qualitative aspects of like writing for Amazon. So I think there's so many topics that I would love to have on. I'm so happy that we met and we were introduced um, because we haven't really had product page optimizers 
on the show talking about this part of it, but I know it'll benefit our audience so much. Um, so would love to have you back on the show to talk more about this. If you're down. I'm definitely down. I was trying to think of some sort of badger metaphor that I could <laughs> use yeah. to say that. And I came up empty handed. So it's tough. It's yes, really tough. It's, it's tough. Uh, we'll hold that against you. Emma, thank you so much for sharing some of these like common missteps that people make. Um, I know that I've already, like you've given me some really good ways to uh, like a better lens to look at uh, listings to help, you know, understand and analyze it. So I think there's so many great lessons already that you've shared and I can't wait to see what else we come up with in the future. So Emma from marketing by Emma, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time and I can't wait to continue this conversation. Oh yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.